It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Heaston. Episode 275, Jesus' Day-to-Day Ministry. All right, we have arrived at the day-to-day ministry part of Jesus' life. This is going to be a blast. Here we go. I'll keep try to keep these episodes to the kind of a form of a day in the life of Jesus, kind of with some basic, basic continuity as well. In this episode, we'll see Jesus healing, ministering, and preaching in the synagogue and out of the synagogue. And we even get a glimpse at his secrets of ministry, his quiet times with his father. After Nazareth, Jesus returns to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, which will be his base of operations. Capernaum will be ground zero for Jesus' Galilean ministry. Capernaum lays on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee on a major north-south trade highway. It houses a Roman garrison and accounts vary whether you know you research one person or one theologian or another historian and you get anywhere from there's 1500 people in Capernaum upward to 50,000. So regardless of the population it was one of these cities on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was a thoroughfare and on a major highway went through Israel. It had a massive marketplace. It was a home of a Roman garrison. It was home to a convergence of Greek, Roman, and Jewish cultures all in one place. Jesus' popularity is growing. Everyone in this area was talking about his miracles. His custom would be to preach in the synagogues on the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul would follow the same pattern. Everyone wants to hear what he wants to say. I mean, even the Pharisees at the moment, they're very curious. Who is this man who's doing all these miracles? So we covered the synagogue system before. It's the Greco-Romanized modernization of the Jewish system where debates and open communication and teaching was emphasized with the disciple-like approach, allowing the basic distant communities to actually have a a measure of autonomy outside of Jerusalem, which was actually great for Jesus, and it was a good place to launch his ministry. So the Galilee region was free from a lot of the controls that marked the central government in Jerusalem, and it was here in a hotbed of thought and the liberty of the country that Jesus launches out into what we would call his full-time ministry. Jesus unleashed. Here we go. Mark 1, 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the law. People were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with one with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with this, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of him, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement grips the audience, and they begin to discuss... What just happened? What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey him. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of the Galilee. Picture this happening in your church. I mean, really, your pastor, your pastor 
is interrupted by a man screaming, but it's not the man screaming. It's a demon inside of the man screaming. It's disgusting. The demon says, I know who you are. You've come to destroy us. And the pastor silences the demon and casts it out. And let's just say, then he keeps teaching. The pastor just keeps teaching. He uses it as a teaching point. I think the congregation would just flip out. Seriously, that wasn't just another boring sermon. No, they would talk about it relentlessly into everyone. They would say something like, what an unreal teacher, what a teacher. And he actually does the stuff. He preaches about righteousness and then he casts out a demon. He's the best preacher I've ever seen. The pastor's fame would spread far and wide. And I tell it this way, for you to put yourself in the seat of those in Capernaum. They've only heard dry teachers for years speaking the word, but without authority. And I mean, this demonized guy probably was around for years. He could have actually been the principality over Capernaum, and Jesus dealt with him first. It was irrefutable. Now, this Jesus shows and speaks with authority and actually cast out a demon in a church. And the synagogue, it's amazing. The people must have been in awe. Another thing in this time period is the lack of modern medicine. People lack modern medicine. Basic fevers can kill a person. So when there's someone with the ability to heal people, he's equivalent of a modern day superstar. Absolutely anyone sick needed him. He was effectively the only real one capable of healing anyone in their eyes. There was few doctors, and their science was half superstition, half science. And they didn't have, you know, antibiotics. And now, on top of that, Jesus cast out a demon. Everyone was amazed at this. So let's talk about demons. If you're anything like me, when I started reading the Bible many, many years ago, I had a question about demons. Do demons exist? I got a story for you. I used to ask this question. Jesus cast out all these demons. We don't have demons today, do we? And really, we don't have demons like that, do we? And that was a question I was asking myself. And I believe he even prayed. I was like wondering, how could today be different? And I pondered this for about three months until one day I got my answer. Uh, and I live in middle-class America where we have privilege and basic needs are provided for you know, watch those missionary movies and they're in Africa or, you know, or somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then they call home and the guy answers it and he's at Walmart, right? And they have everything they ever needed. Um, but one day we were serving with our, our church and we stepped foot in a nursing home. Not one of the pretty ones, not ones with room service. No, no. This was state run and funded where the elderly had serious issues. And I saw things that day that made the exorcism movies jealous. My eyes were open. There was screaming. There was throwing up. There was things I wished to forget. Um, it was nothing I ever expected. Then I watched a show that had the witch doctors in Africa, kind of a documentary. We heard stories of Catholic exorcists. And we learned of raw demon possession in the streets. Or the homeless guy I met in L.A. on a business trip. That guy had a demon. Most likely, he invited through some horrible drug trip or many drug trips. They're out there. You, you don't have to go too far. Walk the streets of downtown Seattle today. Get out of the suburbs and taste reality sometimes. 
Ever since we've studied and learned a lot about the things of the Spirit, our sensible world masks the dark sides to spirituality with drugs, often prescription drugs, gives labels like schizophrenia or multiple personality disorders. These are quite broad statements. You know, it's not that every label is a person with a demon, like OCD or ADD. No, no, that's not what I mean. But a person that is completely out of their mind and they can't control themselves, well, they fit the description of the demon-possessed man in the New Testament. Words are coming out of them that are not their own. And that's what happened here with Jesus. And when they confronted a man in authority, you know, there was a reaction and something happened. The amazing thing is that as we learn the approach of Jesus and the other disciples, we can understand the authority Jesus gives his disciples. And over and over, Mark talks about casting out demons. And there, there's also distinct borders and lines that Jesus teaches us about the demonized and the casting out of demons. And later we'll cover more on this topic and how modern Christian counselors have taken Jesus at his words. You know, not, not necessarily in this case about casting out of demons, but pursuing deep inner healing that, or, or to correct the deep inner hurts that allowed darkness to come in. And they took him at his words about forgiveness and surrender and worked them into their practices and have seen incredible breakthroughs with those in the darkest depths of their own minds. And they come back to reality through the healing of Jesus and doing as he commanded to forgive and to surrender. And with great wisdom, many have come to understand healing comes in many forms. And there's an interesting study um, from an Oral Roberts University study that concluded five-eighths of healing miracles from the study of hundreds of miracles was that five-eighths of them came not through dramatic, miraculous experiences, but through emotional healing, which led to the physical healing. When they did what Jesus commanded, forgive, surrender. Isn't that amazing? More and more on this topic as we progress in these episodes, and we'll conclude with the, actually a personal testimony that kind of falls in line with that. In the words of so many textbooks on counseling today, we should go for the roots of our issues and quit treating the symptoms. Jesus did just that, but in this case, there was no counseling. He cut off the root of the issues, and in this case, it was a demon. It's amazing what the demon said. I know who you are. You're, are you going to destroy us? What the demon... Well, the demon knows it's Jesus. Of course, because this demon was a fallen angel. Now we call them demons. At least that's the Western mindset. Demons find home in people and things. They prefer to embody something. I, I don't know why exactly, but they do. Uh, the people who have open doors due to sin are the susceptible ones. Um, deep, dark sin. Their sin surrenders their legal rights to the enemy who comes to those with open doors through darkness. This doesn't mean a regular sinful person has or will have a demon, but compare this person to the one in witchcraft every night and the thievery by the day. That is a person who would be more likely to have um, issues. Later at the gatherings, Jesus will cast out 7,000 demons from one man, or two men, depending on how you read it. They'll ask to go into a herd of pigs, showing how they really want to inhabit something or someone. 
They're nasty creatures. You don't want a demon. Uh, they seem to be reserved for the darkest of mankind. The demon said to Jesus, are you going to destroy us? So Jesus will judge the demons, and he will cast them in the lake of fire at the end of the age. In Jude, Jude 1, 6, he reserved a special judgment for those demons who converted with women before the flood. These demons were chained up to be judged later. So you've got almost a you know, a multiple bag of demons here. And there's even an, another belief on exactly what demons are. Um, our Western belief is that demons are fallen angels. It's probably too simplified. Um, there's another perspective that you'll probably most likely find more from, a, you know, Jews today. Um, they believe that demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, which is just a crazy thing to me, but it's super interesting, actually. So these Nephilim lost their bodies in the flood, and they desired bodies to possess. Interesting, huh? I, I guess it makes sense, sort of. The fallen angels don't need bodies, but the Nephilim do. So these are the, the sons of the fallen ones at the time of the flood. So it's an interesting perspective. Uh, but, you know, the, the guy at the gatherings, or the 7,000 demons at the gatherings, they wanted to possess something and the disembodied spirits needed a body to possess, and they went into the herd of pigs. So it's an interesting perspective of what the demons are. Regardless, Jesus has authority over all demons and all creators in the world. It just so happened a demon shows up first in a church in front of Jesus. That's another reason why I most likely believe that this, this demon could have been the principality over Capernaum, and he just shows up right here, and he gets cast out, and then it's almost like revival breaks out now because uh, the devil's strongholds are getting broken one by one. This low-level demon or high-level demon was cast out of this man. Perhaps he was punished behind the veil, chained up like the pre-Diluvian demons per Jude. Who knows? He was judged early or he was just allowed to leave. We don't know, but Jesus has this authority to tear apart the structures of the enemy. Right after Jesus' amazing sermon and deliverance, Peter's like, hey, teacher, you want to stay at my house? But uh, I do have to tell you, my mom is sick. Luke 4, 38. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, someone begged him. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. All right, so demon possession, that's a miracle. But healing a fever, I mean, it seems a bit low, low level, right? Well, yes and no. They didn't have antibiotics, like I said before, and Peter's mom could have died from this fever. Here's something, though, we have to believe. Here's an interesting nugget per Pastor Bill Johnson found an amazing verse in an unexpected place. When reading through Revelation, he discovered Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? It means that Jesus does something. He speaks it into a future possibility for anyone with faith. His testimony here is a healing of a fever. The prophecy means he'll do it again. So the testimony of Jesus, the healing of a fever, is the spirit of prophecy. This miracle speaks to another one that can occur if you believe and declare it to be. Anybody got a fever? You know anyone with COVID? Jesus healed fevers then 
And if he's alive today and the Holy Spirit is everywhere, I think he can heal COVID. Funny thing, I had a cousin that was sick with COVID and we prayed this exact thing over him in the phone. I mean, I, he's in the state of Texas. We're in the state of Washington. I found out he had COVID. Uh, we were praying over him. We're like, Jesus, you healed Peter's mother-in-law. Why can't you heal you know, my, my cousin right now in Jesus name. And we're praying for him. And, you know, he's like, that's crazy. I was just reading that verse. Is that something? And he's much better now. My cousin's much better. He's fully recovered now, actually. How about you though? Do you have anything you need prayer for? Did these scriptures do something inside of you? Pray this scripture. If Jesus healed fevers, then then he'll do it today. It's nothing for him. It's the kingdom of heaven. Luke 4:40. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one of them. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, "You are the son of God." But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Picture the scene with me. There were lines of people at Peter's house. Jesus did ministry from Peter's door, healing everyone who came to him. The disease, the demon possessed everyone. He probably laid hands on every one of them late into the night. And there's another point to consider here. It all started in church. An amazing sermon with the deliverance and the people were so amazed they stalked him to his house and he ministered late into the night. No one wasn't healed and everyone was blessed. Imagine that today. Wouldn't that be amazing? This is Jesus in action. I would have loved to see this. Well, Jesus went to bed late that night. Perhaps he slept four hours that night and, and then he got up early. He got up early and went to a quiet place to pray. And this is what Jesus does. He, he disappears often to be with his father. So it was a long day of ministry. And I kind of picture the ministry aspects, and it's really interesting. You see, it started, um, you know, he was preaching on the Sabbath. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. They probably ate a meal. And then the line starts forming at the door. And then he prays for people late into the night. And then he sleeps very little. And then he gets up early. I imagine he was excited with the hunger of the people. And his body was supercharged with the move of the Spirit. But he needed to get alone with his father. He was still human. He needed rest, but he needed his father more. We'll find Jesus repetitively dismissed sleep for time with his father. And I, and I remember a lot of stories today. Um, I, I am. I'm remembering a lot of stories today. One of the most powerful ministries I've been part of was called the 99. It was kind of a hardcore ministry. It came out of Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they traveled around with a huge tent and had a series of rooms to walk people through situations where they would repeat the statistic that 99 people die a day in America from preventable causes in our nation, uh, from car accidents to suicides to drug overdoses and gang violence. Uh, the scenes are intense because they walk people from room to room, and each room will walk people through dramatic events. Um, but it drew in thousands of teens in Northwest Arkansas and it, and it probably helped that it was around Halloween, right? Well, it worked, and it scared many kids, but it, they also went for the thrill, right? Um, and there was thousands of teenagers that went through. 
And at the end of the walkthrough, um, there was Jesus on the cross and a salvation message. And believe it or not, you know, this gigantic tent that they did in this ministry, thousands of people got saved. Well, we volunteered to serve on their ministry team because that's what we do. Um, and they had a shortage of pastors. Um, so, you know, it was a, I guess it was kind of intense for a lot of the pastors to do, but um, they needed help. The professional pastors didn't show up, probably because of the style of ministry, I'm not sure. Well, they asked me if I was a pastor, and I said, no, I do a podcast. And they said, that works. <laughs> so I learned the script and the message. You know, Janelle was on the ministry team. They would walk people through one-on-one, -on -one and they would uh, they would walk them to a a room where they did the salvation message, and that's where they needed help. And there'd be 20 or more, 20 or 30 kids at a time. Um, and then they would walk them one-on-one -on -one to sit with a counselor. And that's where Janelle would be at the counselor, um, sitting one-on-one -on -one with someone. And that's what I did too, until they needed help as well. So I learned the script um, and the message, and I shared the gospel with the masses that went through kind of the, the salvation room, they called it, or the where the pastor should speak to them. And unprepared on days before, I was leading many to Christ. Uh, the masses of youth that gave their heart to Christ, uh, they just messed me up. I mean, you you would um, you watch a video and you would tell about the salvation of Jesus um, and, and the power of his blood. Um, and then you would just almost like you, you're praying with them. And then you look up and you you'd say, raise your hands if you really believe this. And I remember many times the entire room just raised their hands and accepted Jesus 20 plus uh, people at a time um, sometimes. And it was just overwhelming. It, it messed me up for days. Um, the first night, I didn't sleep four hours either. Uh, I remember crying, marveling how God could use anyone at any moment to do his work. And, and you can now see why I love this part of Jesus's ministry in life. Uh, this is our heart to see God's kingdom throughout the earth, whether it's healing, deliverance, or salvations. Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. They aren't kidding. Everyone was looking for Jesus. There was probably hundreds already waiting to see the lights to be figuratively turned on at Peter's house. Everyone who knew anyone who needed a doctor was lined up at Peter's house. But Jesus understood the needs were everywhere. The secret sauce to Jesus' sustaining ministry was his quiet times with his father. And out of it, he would have a revelation. And his revelation is this, Mark 1, 38. But Jesus replied, we must go to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You gotta love how Mark likes to just talk about and casting out demons. I've heard from multiple pastors that you can't do two things in heaven one day. You can't get people saved, number one. And number two, you can't cast out demons in heaven. Isn't that great? That's funny. All right. So it's in this episode of Message to Kings with an amazing healing testimony um, and a secret sauce to the, the spirit-filled life. Uh, the secret sauce, and I sort of mentioned one, uh, but... Um, that was Jesus' time with his father, but it's a hunger. The secret sauce to life in the Spirit is hunger. Everyone, everyone who came to Jesus got healed. You know, if someone sat in there, someone had an injury or, or was super sick or something, like Jesus would come to me if he wants to heal me. No, 
hunger for your healing, go see Jesus. You know where he's at. He's at Peter's house. Go get it, right? Um, you know the promise of God. You know the prayers. You know the, um, the promises in Deuteronomy 28, or uh, you know what Jesus' character is from Matthew 5, or you know how to walk like a shepherd or love like David, right? They're in the Bible. The examples are there. Hunger for it. Thirst for righteousness. You will be filled. That's a secret. Imagine that lady who touched his garment. She just touched his garment and she was healed. Some were healed in the environment of his presence. Some were healed by believing. Some believed and believed and believed. It's called relentless faith. Relentless hunger to see God's hand throughout the earth. Imagine a classroom where the teacher really has a desire to teach you everything he or she knows, but half of the students are bored and wish they weren't there. Well, they aren't going to learn anything. The teacher would spend extra time with the students that are not bored, with those that are interested, that this, with the students who are hungry to learn and to grow. The teacher gives the hungry students, those who are interested, those who want to learn everything they desire. That's hunger. The bored ones, the disinterested, I'd rather be somewhere else. Well, they get their grade and they're done with their class. But those that are hungry and thirsty for more, they're going to learn everything they can. They're going to, the teacher's going to pour it out. The teacher's going to dump it out on them. It's going to overwhelm them. That's Christ. That's, that's the move of the Holy Spirit. That's those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. You want to make more with your life? Sit down with the Father. Get, go out at night like Jesus did. Go out and find a secret place. Just spend time with him. Talk to him. And don't believe the lies. You can't hear his voice and you can't walk with Jesus and you can't talk to him and walk with him and all those things. Just go. Just do it. Go spend time with Jesus. Read his word. Spend time with him. Hunger for him. Go for it. More, more, more. It's there for you. The teacher is waiting. All right. We end this episode with the super cool healing testimony. It's so weird, too. It's one of the most dramatic healing testimonies I've been a part of. And I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff, but um, it happened in a small church in Salem Springs, Arkansas. We're on a ministry team. That's what we do, right? We're on a ministry team. Um, and it makes me recall that ORU study where five-eighths of healing come through forgiveness and surrender. Well, I'm at the front after the sermon by the pastor. Um, I'm on the ministry team, this small church. And this guy comes up for prayer. It's, it's a crazy story. He's a machinist, um, and he was a hammer guy at a factory, okay? All day long, he worked in a plant, and he hammered parts of machinery, just bam, bam. And it, thousands of times a day, he used his hammer. He, he asked for prayer because his fist would lock. It would just lock. And seriously, it was weird. It would, it, it would he'd just fold his hand into a fist, and it would lock into place. It almost made a snap. And he would work so hard to snap it back. His face would get really hit, and he'd snap his back, his hand, his, his hand back out into a, a normal position. It was so odd. So what do you do, right? So like this guy, um, his his hand would lock into a fist motion, and then we eventually get it out with with a lot of force. And he was really worried that his hand was going to lock in this fist position. So what do you do in this case? Well, I pulled a Nehemiah. I mean, I'm on the ministry team. Who am I? Like, well, I have my name any answers. And I was praying vertically as I spoke horizontally. And then I believe God gave me a word of wisdom. I said, when did it start? 
And he said, it started a few months ago when my, hand, when my job was on the line. And he went on to tell me the story of a new manager that drove him crazy. He threatened his job repeatedly. He verbally abused him. The manager isn't there anymore. Uh, but it started then. It continued to get worse. So I asked him, um, have you forgiven your manager? And he said, no. I, so I led him in forgiveness of this horrible manager. This really has nothing to do with the hand, right? Well, at least that's what I thought. And he broke down as he forgave this horrible man who was so rude to him. The forgiveness wasn't for the manager as much as it was the breaking of the bondage that the machinist had formed in his heart by not forgiving the manager. He truly forgave this terrible manager, and it was surprisingly heartfelt because he was a tough guy. He was built like Popeye after the spinach, right? I mean, huge arms. And after this, he asked him, um, after this, we asked him how his hand felt, almost as an afterthought, because it was kind of like, why are we, you know, the hand, you know? Well, he clenched his hand into a fist and reversed the action and smiled. And, and he continued to clench his hand repeatedly until he had full mobility. And he said, I'm healed. We were blown away. Uh, he received an emotional healing of his heart and the physical one at the same time ends up he held such a strong resentment and bitterness towards this manager he took his anger out at work repetitively every with every hammer strike basically he took out his his bitterness on the hammer into every hammer blow strike inviting a trauma which impacted his nervous system to keep his hands clenched i don't totally understand it but i do know more about the power of forgiveness and that healing is real. And it wasn't anything supernatural from the miracle perspective, but it was. We put to practice the Christian basics of surrender and forgiveness, and it released him from his bondage. I know this testimony doesn't totally fit in this account of Jesus, but I feel like it's real for someone today, and it applies to someone out there, whether you're needing a healing or you know, you do not think God can use you. I mean, I, I'm a guy doing a podcast. I ended up being the, the pastor in a, you know, an evangelism event. Oh, God can use you. Hunger to be used by God. Hunger to see your healing. Always pursue him. Imagine the guy with the, the clenched fist if he refused to go up for prayer. That's where he received his healing. He could have received it somewhere else, but he had to hunger. He had to step in faith um, to go get some help, right? Hunger to see your healing. Always pursue him and never let go of those promises of his power and peace and righteousness in your life. And I want to ask you, this, this episode is really mostly about healing. So do reach out, email us at messagedekings at gmail.com or click through the website with any prayer request you have. We will pray for you. Jesus healed everyone in these accounts and he still does it today. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. If you are on YouTube, please smash that like button because the system works against us, so we need your help. Uh, if you're on iTunes, other listening platforms, please uh, give us a review or share the program. And we are serious. We will pray for anyone out there. Check out the website, messagedekings.com. Feel free to connect with us or email us at messagedekings at gmail.com.